0: Yellowstone National Park, the first national park established in the United States under President Ulysses S. Grant in 1872. Most famous is the home of Old Faithful Geyser. This national park is a beauty to behold at every turn with its numerous geothermal areas, wildlife, and abundance of dense forest views, canyons, lakes, rivers, and mountains. Situated in the south-central Rockies, Yellowstone covers an area of 3,468.4 square miles and is part of the states of Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. It is also home to the Yellowstone Caldera, a supervolcano considered dormant, which is the largest on the North American continent. More than half of the world's geysers and hydrothermal areas are found in Yellowstone National Park, and in 1978, it was established as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. The number of species of fish, reptiles, birds, amphibians, and mammals is in the hundreds, and it is the most famous location in the U.S. for grizzly bears, bison, elk, and wolves. In 1864, amidst the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln appointed Truman Everts as Assessor of Internal Revenue for the Montana Territory. Everts, originally from Burlington, Vermont, held the position in Montana until 1870. As a former Assessor for the Montana Territory, Everts had a strong desire to explore more of the beauty of what would later be known as Yellowstone National Park and joined the expedition led by Henry D. Washburn and Nathaniel P. Langford. Everett understood the expedition would be long and strenuous, but he believed the views of the natural physical wonders would pay off the struggle tenfold. Little did he know just how great of a battle he would have to endure just to live to tell the tale. A year after this expedition, Everett did indeed publish his personal account of the journey that for him turned out to be 37 Days of Peril, the title of his article published in Scribner's Monthly Magazine in November of 1871. The company started from Helena. Everett began the expedition with great enthusiasm and wrote, Of course, the idea of being lost in it, without any of the ordinary means of sustenance, and the wandering for days and weeks in a famishing condition alone in an unfrequented wilderness formed no part of my contemplation. For the first few days of the expedition, the company traveled through the dense forest with their progress often being impeded by fallen timber. When their route was blocked, each member would pursue their own way around it. This method, however, Is how Truman Everts found himself separated from the group. He could no longer see nor hear the other men, but wasn't the least bit alarmed as separations from the group had frequently happened before with other comrades. It was late afternoon, and Everts pressed on with his horse, expecting to find the company camp soon. As it grew darker, it became more difficult for Everts to see clearly. So he decided to find a comfortable place to rest for the night, built a fire, and slept till morning. It was September 9th, 1870. At dawn, Everts saddled up and mounted his horse in the direction he thought was towards the camp. He had hoped to find them camping on the beach at the lake they had ridden by the day prior. But the forest was so dense and dark, he was easily disoriented and confused in search for the trail. Often he had to dismount his horse to examine his surroundings for clues that would point him in the right direction. At one point after dismounting, his horse became spooked and took off at full speed into the forest. (coughs) He never saw his horse again, nor all of his belongings packed on the horse. Those belongings he desperately needed to aid in his survival. His blankets, pistols, gun, matches, fishing tackle, it was all gone. All he had left was the clothing he was wearing, a small opera glass, and a couple of knives. He attempted to recover his horse, but after midday, he realized it was an impractical feat so Everts decided to post a note in the chance that anyone would come upon it and be aware of his condition and the direction he was headed. Evening approached, and his anxiety began to rise. Realizing that his situation was turning severe, he forced his thoughts to hope that it would not be long until he would be reunited with the expedition and they would laugh about his misadventure. He rested and carefully thought through his every step since he was separated and resolved to go back the next day to where he had left his note. The dark night folded in, but now he was without a fire, and the sounds of the forest around him only kept him anxiously awake in fear of his safety. He couldn't sleep, but held on to the hope that tomorrow would have him in the company of his comrades. When Everts awoke the next morning, he headed back to the spot where he left the note, but there was no evidence that anyone else had been there and seen it. A rush of discouragement immediately hit him as he realized more seriously that he was lost in the wild. Everts was destitute, no food, fire, or tools to help him make one. He was alone in a wilderness, unexplored more than 150 miles from the nearest dwelling. He was starving and surrounded by a forest filled with unknown beasts that had an appetite as well. After that staunch moment of realization, Everett's resolved to pick himself up, including his perspective. The wilderness would not win. All along the way, mastering his thoughts was a constant battle, but Eberts did everything he could to suppress the negative and focus on finding his group. His strategy was to centrally cross the peninsula to reach the shore of the lake to their meeting point. That was the predetermined location should anyone get lost from the group. Later, he would write to encourage others of what he learned in such a unique experience in mastering his thoughts. There is life in the thought. It will revive hope, allay hunger, renew energy, encourage perseverance, and, as I have proved in my own case, bring a man out of difficulty when nothing else can avail. When he finally came upon the shore of the lake, he spotted what he had hoped was actually a native Indian on a canoe coming toward him. But soon enough, wings sprouted to reveal a large pelican flying away. Disappointed, hungry, and weak, he turned to see a curious bright green plant. He pulled it up by the roots, which resembled a radish, examined it, and gave it a try. The plant today is known as Everett's thistle, his first meal in four days. He described the thistle as palatable, nutritious, and something he grew to crave. Finally, his appetite was appeased and he fell into a deep sleep in a cozy spot against a log on the shore. Not knowing exactly how long he slept, the shriek of a mountain lion frightfully awakened him. Wholly terrified and filled with adrenaline, he managed to climb up into a tree and screamed Ah. and threw branches down fiercely at the threatening beast. It wouldn't give up, but neither did Everts. Fearing the moment the lion might leap onto the tree trunk, Everts did all he could to ward it off until all became quiet. Everts was entirely out of energy and filled with fear. The mountain lion remained still. Then, after what felt like to Everts an eternity, the big cat bolted off, roaring into the forest. Exhausted from the mountain lion encounter, Everts peeled himself off the tree back to the same spot where he had been sleeping. What little strength he had left was utterly zapped, and he drifted into a deep sleep again. The next battle was with the weather. A heavy storm blew in, waking him again. He was cold, barely clothed, and drenched. Everts put together a makeshift shelter made from the branches of a spruce tree, and there he stayed weathering the storm for two days. At one point, a small bird wandered within his reach, and Everts grabbed it instantly and killed it. Famished, he plucked the feathers and ate the bird meat raw. When the weather finally broke, Everett's headed towards the hot springs that spewed visible steam into the air. He recalls it being less than 10 miles, but the storm kicked up again before he reached them. His feet were frozen, his body drenched. Upon reaching the springs, Everett's laid down under a tree and allowed the thermal steam to thaw him out. He built another shelter, ate more thistle root, even boiled it in a thermal spring nearby and waited out the storm. Everts remained at this location for seven days and likened his experience at this particular place to a perpetual and enjoyable steam bath nonetheless. One night, as Everts was resting on the crust of a thermal spring, he accidentally moved too abruptly and broke the crust. This instantly released hot steam, that severely scalded his hip before he could move away from it. A burned hip and festering frost-bitten feet were now the ailments that added constant physical pain to adventure. As he waited for his physical condition to improve, he made preparations for the next leg of his journey. Both the knives Ebert's had at the beginning had been lost, so he extracted the tongue from one of the buckles from his vest and sharpened it. He removed the legs and counters from his boots to make slippers, fastening them to his feet with strips of bark. Everts unraveled a linen handkerchief and mended his clothing using the sharpened buckle tongue he made. From other bits of his boots, he created pockets to hold food that attached to his belt. Every single night for Everts seemed to be the worst. When the cold air bit and he couldn't start a fire, he had to keep himself awake by constantly moving and walking around. When he made it back to the lake's beach, he took some time to map out three different route options by drawing them in the sand. With each route, he carefully considered the various challenges he might face. Not wishing to go back the way he had come he decided to follow the shore of the lake towards the Madison Mountains and traverse at the lowest point of altitude. Along the shore, he collected a dinner fork, which helped him dig up the thistle root and a can that he used as a cup and a dinner pot. Everett's lost one of his shoes at one point while collecting wood for a fire. Enjoying the beach's soft sand on his feet brought some relief. But as he collected the wood, a shoe went missing, throwing Everts into a panicked search. The thought of his feet being exposed in the freezing night spiked his anxiety. Until finally he found it. He had never been more grateful for his makeshift shoes. One night after Everts was able to get some sleep, he was awakened by the crackling hum of a forest fire. His hand had been burned, and his hair singed. It was right in front of him, a thick, raging sheet of fire consuming everything in sight. It was both beautiful and terrifying. Smoke filled the air, making it difficult to breathe. Finally, when daylight broke, he could no longer see any sign of a trail, but resolved to carry on towards the lowest notch in the Madison Range. The route was jacked and rugged with hills, windfalls, thickets, and forest. He expected it would only be about 20 miles to the Madison Valley, and then another 30 more to reach his friends. Before Everts had left the lake, he supplied himself with thistles, assuming he would find more. After searching all along the way, he became discouraged that they didn't grow on this part of the route. He was continually discouraged, exhausted, cold, hungry, Every day was a new battle, and he had to overcome a different fight within each of those days. He sat down, staring at the Yellowstone, and as he recalls, he had a strange hallucination which he believed was providence. An old clergy friend appeared to him, a friend whose counsel in the past Everts had highly regarded. This friend commanded Everts to go back immediately. It warned him, that there was no food in his chosen route, and that his life depended on returning as fast as possible, for it was his only chance. Everett's had a continued conversation with this imaginary friend, and even the mere thought brought him a sense of comfort and restored hope. So he picked himself up again and headed back towards the lake. For much of his journey throughout the wilderness, nights were the most tormenting for his body and mind. At one point, he was so weak, all the tree trunks in front of him just seemed to be entangled. And the thought of just laying there and giving up tempted him the most. Then, this thought crossed his mind that he held on to While there is life, there is hope. Take courage. Everett's happened upon a small stream that branched off from a spring on the hillside. It was swarming with minnows. Catching some, he ate them raw and found they tasted delicious. But not long after, his stomach did not agree, making him painfully sick. Thoughts of being reunited with his daughter are what kept his hopes alive. All other hopes were as lost as he was. Large herds of elk, antelope, deer, and occasional bears. ...and other small animals graced his view along with flocks of ducks, swans, geese, and other birds. They were beautiful and mocking, as he had no means of killing any of them to nourish his now skeletal form. Everts was gradually starving, and his appetite became lost with his sense of time and day. When he dreamed, if he could fall asleep, he remembered his dreams were luxurious as he waltzed around the most elegant establishments of New York and Washington. The dinner tables were lush and filled with every delight he could remember. But his waking days grew heavier and heavier. Dragging himself to any area that might expose him to any ray of sun that he could focus a beam of light through his glass to light a fire became the only mission for the day. Finally. Day 37 arrived. It was October 16th. With no idea that this would be the day that he would realize his greatest hope, he mustered up what little strength he had to keep carrying on despite the wind and threatening weather approaching. He stopped and attempted to light a fire, but could not. His body was in agony from the biting cold. And with each step, his limbs sunk heavier and heavier towards the ground. Struggle on, a voice whispered in his mind. Struggle on. Pressed against the side of a hill, he noticed a reflection of light. Then two figures approached him with friendly faces. Are you Mr. Everts? He had been found. Truman Everts wrote, I fell forward into the arms of my preservers. In a state of unconsciousness, I was saved. On the very brink of the river which divides the known from the unknown, strong arms snatched me from the final plunge, and kind ministrations wooed me back to life. A search party was sent from Montana to find Everett's remains, and it was Yellowstone Jack Baronet and George A. Pritchett that found him barely alive, over 50 miles away from where he had first lost the expedition group. Truman Everts was so malnourished, he weighed only 50 pounds, had frostbite, burn wounds, and other injuries. After the two mountain men found him, one stayed to nurse him back to health, while the other hiked over 75 miles to get help. The peak near Mammoth Hot Springs was named Mount Everts by Henry D. Washburn, Surveyor General of Montana. Yellowstone National Park offers stunning scenery, excellent wildlife observation, and plenty of opportunities for outdoor adventure. And the vastness of the park allows for choices to visit the popular sites or those less traveled. The vistas can be viewed by vehicle, hiking, biking, by boat, or on horseback. Yellowstone should be on everyone's bucket list, but be aware Dangers lurk throughout the park. As in any wilderness setting, you can become lost or struck by falling limbs and trees. Encounters with dangerous animals are possible. Visitors must avoid self-inflicted injuries, such as falls from precarious perches and foolish decisions. But there are unique dangers as well. Yellowstone's hot, hydrothermal waters are nearly at boiling temperature. While evidence of some of these features is sometimes visible, that is not always the case. Frail ground may disguise hidden dangers beneath you, tempting fate with a plunge into scalding waters. Boardwalks provided by the park protect visitors from some of these dangers and leaving the marked path will surely increase your chances of experiencing third-degree burns, or even death. Heed the guidelines and rules posted by park personnel. Follow marked paths and provided boardwalks. Don't take unnecessary chances to obtain the perfect selfie or photography. Far more people have suffered injuries or death by Yellowstone's hot, hydrothermal waters than with encounters with dangerous animals. And always be prepared, for you never know when you will find yourself in the wild. This episode of In the Wild is narrated by Ian Scotto and written by Shannon Copland. It is based on the Project Gutenberg's public domain ebook publishing of Truman Everett's 37 Days of Peril. Produced by Jim Adcock. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting installment of In the Wild. To hear more captivating stories of real-life survival, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Stay prepared, because you never know when you may find yourself in the wild.